Hey guys, I've been looking forward to this interview for a long time. I get a chance to talk with a buddy that I've just got to know over the last few months, a guy by the name of Eddie Penny. The reason I call him a buddy is because Eddie and I have been around the world together on the same battlefields, in the same places, at the same time, and we just didn't get a chance to talk to each other. Well, when we finally got a chance to meet, when we finally got a chance to connect over the phone, I immediately connected with this guy and thought, this guy is amazing. So today, as difficult as this is for a former Army Ranger to do, I get a chance to interview a former Navy SEAL, and we're just going to have some fun and tell some more stories and ultimately talk about a moment that radically changed this warrior's life on this episode of Unbeatable. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life and become unbeatable. Eddie Penny, thank you for taking some time out of your schedule to be my guest on Unbeatable. Glad that you're with me today, man. Yes, Jeff. Finally, it's good to be on here with you, my friend. Yeah, it's been a little bit of time trying to work our schedules out so that we could get together for this episode. And by the way, huge shout out to Keith Wood, who got us connected the first time. Absolutely. Um, Why don't you tell everybody how you got connected with Keith, and then I'll try to tell everybody how I got connected. And Keith is the one that got us connected. It's kind of funny how the the little triangle works out. Um, I was at a shooting school for the NRA. I was instructing, and Keith was there as a student, but he was there to go through the course, and he was going to write about it for uh, a couple magazines. So him and I met, and just loved the guy. He uh, took to me, and we just, you know, became friends. And then probably I'd say a year and a half later, uh, the idea for the book Unafraid came up and I reached out to him and I asked him to look, listen to a podcast that recently came out that kind of talked a little bit about my testimony and asked him if there'd be a book in that. And he was, uh, yeah, he's like, there's definitely a book. And I asked him, Hey, would you mind writing? And he was, he's like, I thought you would never ask. And that, that was it. That was it. So yeah, we so- uh, hooked up. Did you put Keith through the ringers? Did you really, you know, wear him out while he was your student? Um, I mean, he he's such a great, he's a good shooter. He's a better shooter yeah. than I am. Yeah. I just bring, we bring in like more of the combat aspect, like real world shooting, yeah. not really. Right. Uh, but he's, he's a great shooter. And then he had some great stuff to give back to the instructors. And it was, it's always like, we can always learn from each other, no matter if you're teaching right. or a student. So, uh, but I think maybe a little bit. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, for those of you uh, that are listening that don't know Keith, he is a legit author. And I mean, he writes periodicals, he writes regular articles, but he's written some incredibly successful books, New York Times bestsellers. Um, And uh, Eddie and and Keith started working together on Unafraid. We're going to talk about that book later on in this episode. Um, But I'm so impressed with Keith's pedigree as an as an author that I asked him, hey, Keith, would you help me? So right now we're in the middle of a project. I know, um, I know. It's... <laughs> hopefully we'll wrap up soon. I know. Um, okay, so this is a this is going to be a fun conversation because in my house, when my children were growing up, there was one kind of running joke that we always tossed around a little bit about, and it's Army Rangers versus Navy SEALs. So now you got an Army Ranger interviewing a Navy SEAL on this episode. And man, I already know who wins. Fun. I already know who wins. No, no, no. I mean, it was just it's always a little fun in our house when when the Navy SEALs come come into the conversation. Um, but you didn't start off as a SEAL, man. You started off not. in the U.S. Marine Corps. Um, what led you into the Marine Corps? And then I got to know, like, why did you make the leap from the Marine Corps to the U.S. Navy SEALs? That's a big jump. Yeah, that's a that's a great question, too. When I was a child, I always wanted to be in spec war of some. I'd go to the recruiters when I was old enough and get like, what's SF? What's the Rangers? Look at their pictures as they're walking through the swamps. And then they'd have the SEALs. And I don't think I really took to the air force too much. Uh, it was just, it was always, <laughs> but they've got some solid, like they got some stellar men there at CCT and PJs. Uh, but I don't, I don't know. It just, uh, I had a buddy when I was swimming in high school, he went to the Marines. He was a year ahead of me and I went down there to his graduation and I just saw the obstacle course and the pugil sticks and the boxing and the marching. I, I just like, I'm going to, this is it right here. So I kind of, abandoned the the seal thing or the spec ops thing and like i, I want to be a marine 
So I did the Marines for four years. And during that time, okay. about the three-year mark. Go ahead. Well, come on. It was the uniform, wasn't it? I mean, I, every kid in high school sees the Marine Corps They're so crisp. They are so crisp. Dude, I will admit I was impressed. to this day, that's the best looking uniform out there. Oh, ever. my gosh. Yes, absolutely. The best recruiting tool ever is that uniform. Absolutely. But and you uh, said you swam while you were in school? I swam, yeah. I, I swam in high school. And then nice. that's so where, what did you do? What events? Um, so I did distance was, freestyle. You know, kind of distance. Distance freestyle, like 500. Uh, I did the mile a couple times and then backstroke. I mean, I was wow. not that good until junior year. I got pretty good. I got to districts and then senior year. I just decided my coach passed and I had no motivation. The motivation was gone. So I just quit. And I'm like, I didn't, yeah. I didn't do that. So, well, I just want to, I want to give you props, man. I swam a little bit when I was in school. Swimmers are incredible athletes. Yeah, I don't are. think people realize distance swimmers, oh, that man. junk is brutal, man. So if you're it's swimming tough. 500, if you're swimming the mile, that is really, really rough. It was tough. Um, no wonder why you but had- But it paid off. You have what it takes to, to make the transition into buds. So three years into the Marine Corps, and now you're starting to think maybe I should do something different. Why, why the Navy? Why the SEALs? So I was going to do sniper school and I missed, uh, you have to be a rifle expert. Like, you know, you get the shooting uh -huh. qualification, you have to be an expert. And I was uh, a marksman, like the lowest level. So I asked Mike, like went up the chain of command, like, Hey, can I go? Cause I want to try to go to uh, sniper school. So they sent me and I missed it by one point. And then one I shot, think it was right? one, one shot. And then I went yeah. three months later, yeah. I missed it again by one more shot. And wow. then I had to wait. I had to, I think this actually started around my two and a half year mark. I had to go, I've got to go back again. And they say, if you make this and you go to sniper school, you need to re-up or you need to extend. Yeah, I was right. like, that's fine. I don't care. So I went for the third time and I missed again by one oh, no, shot. Back I'm like, I'm like, my life is, is over. I mean, to feel like a loser, that was, that was definitely it to me. Uh, so I was going to get out of the military altogether, go back to Cincinnati, try to be a cop, or I didn't know what I was going to do. Uh, and then just something in me, we did a, we did a class out in West Virginia, a mountaineering class. We were having these wow. officers, we were going to train them, but it was the first time that the training was about us for about three days. We could learn yeah. how to rappel, yeah. fast rope, make rope bridges, not tying all, river crossings, all that stuff. And I was like, I just ate it up and I'm like, wait a second. Okay. If I want more of this, I need to go to spec ops for sure. Yeah. So I was like, I'm yeah. one of the seals and I just made that. And that was it from then on, I got out of the Marines and that was it. Yeah. Um, for the listener who doesn't know what this is like, I mean, the Marine Corps culture and the Navy culture are very much similar. Well, they're not similar, but they're very uh, connected. But it is a different, a very different way of uh, a very different approach in the military. So what did the process take for you to actually get out of the Marine Corps and then enter into the Navy? So the process is kind of cumbersome, I, I could say, is you need to, I had to process completely out. I had to, so I had my 90 days of terminal, terminal leave yeah. where I could get out, but I was not, I wanted to ask to like, Hey, take it all back. I just want to go to the Navy, but I had uh -huh. to finish it all the way out. So I had about three months vacation at the end and it just, I was training, but you have to be out for one day. They drug test you. They get all your paperwork, which is ready, and then you're a civilian, and they put you right back in that same day. And then yeah. you go to, uh, it's called TPU up in Great Lakes for the Navy, Transitioning uh -huh. Processing Unit. So all the Army, Navy, Air Force, if you want to come to the Navy, you go here, they do all your paperwork, and then they got to send you to a school, because at the time, there wasn't like a the SEAL operator, SEAL right. job. So I had to go to Gunner's Mate School, do that, which was five months, I believe. And then I got to go out to San Diego to underwater to demolition facility training. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, so there was a process. A true, you had to be a true civilian after the Marine One Corps day. before you can even actually start, uh, go start back into active duty in the, in the Navy. Correct. Right. Correct. And, uh, you know, just tell everybody how long you, you spent total in the military and how long did you spend as a SEAL? So 20 years and one week total time, four years in the Marines, and then operating as a SEAL, I'd say probably about 10 years of that uh, was, yeah. was operational. And then I did some training billets uh, when I got custody of my kids towards the end and stuff like that. So Yeah, we're going to talk about, by the way, being a single dad. 
and a seal. Uh, That's we're the also real tier one stuff. <laughs> yeah, man. We're also going to talk a little bit about the lifestyle and the, you know, the demands physically, emotionally, you know, psychologically on your family, um, mm. spiritually of being at that level of an elite warrior in the U.S. military. But I just uh, want to point out, like you, I joined while I was still in high school. I, I went straight to the Army. Um, I didn't even know what Army Rangers were. I just wanted the the, the worst job in the army. I wanted to test myself against the worst job in the army, but I never really considered the air force. And, uh, <laughs> and that's kind of another running joke in our house. I have a son, uh, who served a couple of sons who served in the military, one who served in the air force. I'm really, really proud of them. But for me, that's just not my line of work. Right. Um, and now I'm sitting there thinking about the space force, the United States space force. And I'm like, what on earth are those guys doing for a living right now? Like, I don't understand. You know, they're a part of the U S military, but you gotta be just sitting around watching a computer screen and drinking a cup of coffee. That's kind of what it is right now. Right. I feel, I feel like you're right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, Hey, I want the listener who doesn't understand buds. I got a, a a basic understanding of it because of many years of serving with the seals. But describe not just Hell Week, but just describe what buds does to your body. What does what buds? How it challenges you in every aspect of who you are as a man and a warrior. Yeah. So first off, just showing up, you hear all the horror stories you hear, you hear more about the failures than you hear about the, Hey, that guy made it through. You hear about like this many people quit. So yeah. already you're, you're taking in the negative, which does uh, play on your brain. You're mm -hmm. on your mindset. Um, but typically the start of buds is six months. The first two months is what is called first phase, which is your basic intro, kind of the beat down, Let's find out if you really want to be here. You yeah. do some basic over the beach um, surveillance reconnaissance. It's really just a beat down, to be honest with you. Yeah. Second phase is two months as well. And that's your dive phase where you learn open circuits, daytime, nighttime. Then you go to closed circuit, which is bubbleless, daytime, nighttime. Mm -hmm. Then you learn to do ship attacks, learn to dive as teams, contour diving of the ocean's floor. Uh, and then third phase is two months as well. And that's like your land warfare where you get intro to explosives, yeah. shooting, working together as a team. And you do kind of some basic, um, basic ops, like, you know, training ops to put everything together. Uh -huh. So that's kind of buds. But at the beginning, they beat you down. That is really what it's all about is to like to make sure you want to be there. They use the cold. They use physical exertion. They yeah. use you being tired. They use all their tools that they have, and they have a lot. And physically, you are drained, but the toll that it takes mentally, that is when you really find out who you are. I, I learned that is, it doesn't matter. I, I use this all the time as if it doesn't matter if you can do a thousand push ups or a hundred push ups. But when they're done with you, you're not going to be, neither of you will do zero push ups because you are like right. just blah. But your yeah. mind, that is what they are trying to break. And if they can't break that, they can't break you. It doesn't matter. So yeah. that's, that's what, that's what really I learned in first phase is, uh, and then that's where the hell week is, is in the first phase, like week five when I was there. Uh, but it's, it's a butt kicker. It, it really is. Yeah. But, um, but, and you learn about yourself, you learn about yourself and yeah. you can do great things after. If you're watching this episode on YouTube, you can see that Eddie is a strong, a solid dude, <laughs> but Buds is designed to just wear you out. And let's be honest, when you name the first week Hell Week, you kind of know what to, you kind of get an idea of what to expect because they don't call it Hell Week for no reason, right? Definitely not. Yeah, so you end up on the on the teams and you end up um, going straight into what team did you end up going to? I went to SEAL Team 2 on the East Coast. Okay. Yeah. Um, I know this, but for some of the, the listeners, they don't understand that SEALs are operating on both the East and the West Coast, and you have a couple of teams on either coast, and there's a little bit of difference there, right? So what's the difference between the West Coast teams and the East Coast teams? I can only go by what I hear. I never served on the West Coast, but I remember, you know, when we get uh, where we're going, you, you put down your little dream sheet, what teams you want to go to, and I put everything on the East Coast, because our, our tier one asset is on the yeah, East Coast. So you right. would kind of get the 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 overflow or if somebody was needed a break and they go to the regular, you were you were getting their knowledge put on you. Yeah. 
And we would always joke around that the West Coast team was the Hollywood teams because they got they're they're usually extras and <laughs> like Transformers. They're, they're in the movies. Right? Really, they're Hollywood area. Pretty much, they're in San Diego. Um, so there's that joke. Great operators out there. Great operators on both coasts. Uh, but that was what I've always been told, and I just wanted to be near the tier one guys. Yeah. Because I was all about open. I was all yeah. about open. That's all I wanted to do was just operate, operate, operate. That was it. And as you know, Eddie, there are Ranger battalions on the East Coast and Ranger battalions on the West Coast. I worked in both of them. They have very, very different personalities. And so I the think culture's the different, right? Influence is that right? So it's the same thing yeah. for you guys, right? Of course, yeah. Everybody yeah. makes fun on the East Coast guys. Make fun of the West Coast Rangers, and the West Coast guys make fun of the East Coast Rangers. <laughs> and there's some differences there, man. I mean, of course, there is. Training, same selection process, but the culture and the climate is just a little bit different 100%. because of the environment, I think. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Very true. Um, Eddie, you and I have been in special operations circles for many years. And I think the first time that we actually talked on the phone and Keith was the one arranging the phone call, I asked you if you and I had been on target together because in the 23 years that I spent in the Army, um, 16 of them in the Ranger Regiment, I can only think of one mission that I didn't have SEALs around me, mm -hmm. um, always around me, and usually right next to me. If they weren't on another building on the same target, they were in the same building on the same target. This goes for me all the way back to Just Cause and the invasion mm -hmm. of Panama. Mm -hmm. um, and I have always been around the SEALs. You and I are going to be really careful with our language now because of our background and the uh, the operations and the the classification nature of the way these relationships work. But man, the the connection between the Army, the Air Force, and the Navy, and right now the Marine Corps Special Operations, that bond is rock solid. Very rock solid, especially at the top level, the Tier One level. So. Uh, delicately, as as well as you can, without violating some classified information here, would you describe for the listener who doesn't know, just going to one of the six SEALs or one of the five SEAL teams doesn't mean that you now make it to the top level of the SEALs. What does it look like to go to the 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 tier one team? Yeah, so you you have to do, you go to like a team two, team four, seven, what, what, one of the numbers, and you have to do when I was going through it was two, two full cycles of deployments. And then you could submit a package and screen to go to our tier one unit, uh, which is also on the East coast. And then once you get accepted, you have to go through another six month selection course, which I talk about in unafraid. And then it's kind of like buds on steroids, but yeah. it's more operational. I, I personally thought that that was harder because it just, for me, it seemed so much more was on the line, more of a competition with myself. Um, so you have to do that. And then once you get that, you actually get to start operating with the tier one units. And then that's where you meet, you, you know, you fall under our joint, uh, command and we yeah. get to the air force, the Marines, the Rangers, all the, and we, we kind of take the best of the best of across the board of all militaries and we go get the enemy. Yeah. And here's what I love to do in our house. When we have these little jokes about the other branches of the military, I, I love to remind them though, man, when you talk about the guys that are really the best on the planet at a couple of things, it's the Navy SEALs and no one else is even playing on the same ball field as them. It's actually one team of the Navy SEALs that's playing on a planet that nobody else is even, uh, you know, in the same ballpark. And you got to, uh, what I want the listener to hear is you got to work your way. You got to earn your way on a, con a somewhat conventional SEAL team to just be able to try out for that unit. And then the process starts all over again. And as you just said, it's even more grueling and it's mm -hmm. even more uh, demanding than getting into the, uh, getting onto a, a SEAL team uh, right out of the gate, right? One thing, uh, one thing about that I want to comment on <clears throat> about the or the tier one, the SEALs, is we're, we're very effective. And there's a reason for that is because what we have surrounding and who we go up with and who is attached to our units, um, that's what makes it so good. We have a very good support system. Like I said, we're taking the best of the Air Force. We're taking the best of the Army. We're taking and yeah. we're and that's when we go take it to the enemy. Uh, it's really all it's a team. It is a team. It, it is a team that goes, that goes forward. 
Yeah. Um, some of my buddies who were new to the Ranger Regiment didn't really have a chance to work with the other branches as closely as I did. Um, they didn't understand what you're describing. My first couple of years in the Army, I was in the Ranger Regiment and I had a chance to work and in, a re in the Ranger Regiment's reconnaissance unit, which means I got sent all over the world and I got mm -hmm. sent all over the world with the rest of the Joint Special Operations Forces. So I got a chance to see who those guys are and what they do. And I got a real big appreciation for the capabilities. So some of my buddies who were kind of new, they complained a little bit like, why do those guys get that mission? And why do we get this mission? And I had to remind them like, look, man, they do what they do. Nobody on the planet can touch what they do. So why do you want to get into their world and try to do what they do? Just let them do what they do. We do what we do. Nobody can touch what we do. Why don't you just focus on what we do, not what they're doing, and just keep getting better at what you're already uh, mm -hmm. already doing really well instead of worrying about what the other guy is doing. That's what the nation really needs of yeah. these units at that level. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, so not only do you make it to the tier one team, but you also become a breacher, which is no small thing. Um, and I know what that means, but the listener doesn't understand what it entails to be the number one guy in the stack, the first guy in the room and what the, you know, the danger and the, the uh, violence associated with that job. So again, careful with your language here, but describe a little bit about the, the role of a breacher on <clears throat> this team. So a breacher, you have, you know, you have your snipers, you have your comms, you have your medics, you have your officers, you have other people that are designated to do a specific job. A breacher's essential job is to get you into wherever you're going, a compound, through a door, window, a vault, whatever it is, anything and everything that prevents us to get in, the breacher's job is to make make entry. So that's how it would be overnight when all the when the conflicts were going on overseas mm -hmm. is putting the charge on the door blowing that and as the explosive sends the door through the room or out or whatever, depending on what's explosive we're using, you're going through that funnel of just chaos. And yeah, it is like a fatal funnel, right? You're, the, yes. you're moving through but, the fatal funnel. But what a rush. And it is like the most amped up music in the world is that explosion. And then once you get yeah. on the other side, you don't know, which is where the yeah, reaction times, right? it's, we don't know what's going on. Uh, we can, you know, Intel's right sometimes, Intel's not always right, which right. is, you know, you, you can't see through buildings. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was a game and I, and I fell in love with it and I, and I actually got addicted to it and yeah, just wanted more and more and more. Okay. That's fascinating language. It's language that I would use. Most of my buddies would use, but the average listener does not get this language. What do you mean? I got addicted to it. Um, the aggression. Yeah, the aggression, the the adrenaline dump, the or dopamine, whatever we wanna wanna label it, just that feeling and the pride they came after of ridding the bad guys from this earth was just so it was overpowering. It was the it was it was awesome. It it was really yeah. good. Okay, I'm glad you just described it that way because many adrenaline junkies out there, you know what it what it's like to ride the big wave. You know what it's like to base jump. You know what it feels like to race a bike, a motorcycle, or a car at very high speeds. And that adrenaline is really powerful. Honestly, it's a really strong drug. And that yes. adrenaline will make you come back for more and more and more. You and I did some really high adventure, very dangerous things, and the adrenaline itself is very powerful. But when I try to tell people, like I, the language I use is, I, I got in the Ranger Regiment, I started doing some ops, I, I, I got bit by the bug and I never wanted to leave it um, and wanted to spend the rest of my life there. And I think for some people, they don't understand the second part of what you just said, and that is, realizing how significant your role is in the national security. I don't even think the average sailor, Marine, airman, soldier gets that. You got that and you got it in spades. So that may be a little bit difficult, but can you describe what that felt like knowing what I just did really made a difference for my country? I guess the difference would be as I, I had tangible proof in front of me is when we go in operations and we knew that HV2 or high value target or this individual 
was responsible for this, this, and this based after based off of our intelligence gathering. And then you see them no longer a, a threat to our forces, uh, anyone that we work with or civilians. Uh, it's a good feeling. It is like yeah. justice is served and you no longer get to wreak your havoc on, on this earth. Yeah. I got a chance to do some of those missions. Living on adrenaline is thrilling, but it's unsustainable, man. The human True. body cannot keep that up. What keeps a guy in tier one units for 15 or 20 years is knowing the dude that I just killed, I just made the world a much safer place because of that guy. And that's what keeps the body going year after year after year and grueling, demanding missions. And that's really hard. I, frankly, Eddie, without you, it's hard for me to describe that to somebody who doesn't have that background, never had a chance to go on targets like that. Man, the, the sense of pride and satisfaction after the mo after the mission's over with, with what we just Oof. accomplished, that lasts a lot longer than the adrenaline high does. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm still okay, coming so, down from it. <laughs> yeah, you and me both. And uh, I tell a few close friends, like, uh, it's almost every day that I miss yeah. what I was doing in the Ranger Regiment. I'm an old man now and couldn't keep up with those dudes if enough, even if I wanted to, but I miss it. I hear you, man. I hear you. Um, your life took a couple of unexpected turns. Um, describe becoming a single dad in this extremely elite, highly demanding world that you're in as a Navy SEAL at the tier one level. Yeah, the first thing that just popped in my mind when you, you kind of took me back is the first thing I just thought of was what a little boy I was. So I was, really? you know, you wait a second. I, I need you to say somebody's driving in their car and they totally missed it. <laughs> you have to say that one more time so that they don't miss a grown man at the very top elite levels in the United States military is saying, actually, I was just a little boy. Say I that was. Again, man. It's very sad. Uh, you know, being at a tier one, you know, your ego, it does consume you. It consumed me. And yeah, you think it goes you through the door before you. It gets that pretty, big. pretty much. Yeah. Sometimes you can't get in the door because of it. And, um, I was like, I can do wrong. And I ended up getting custody of three of my kids. One was 10 months old boy. And then I had two daughters, a five and a 10 year old. And I had full responsibility and I was not able to deploy anymore, or I thought I wasn't be able to deploy anymore. And I had no idea what to do. And I felt like a little boy because I've always kind of had this control thing. I've got this figured out. My gear's here, my yeah. gun's here. I'm ready to go. I got my team. I've got, you know, this blanket we call the, you know, the United States military. Uh, but I was, I felt on my own, but my command was so cool. Once I got custody, I was actually slated to go over to Afghanistan. Uh, two weeks later when I got, I mean, I was in court with a Geico caveman commercial uh, beard, like in a wow. suit, just looking all yeah. scruffy and scraggly. And um, like you got the kids and uh, I didn't know what to do. I had, uh, I had to call my mom. I needed her help. Her and my uh, stepdad, God bless them, came down helped out. I had to refurnish a house. I had to figure out how to be the dad and my command um, said, Hey, take this deployment and figure it out. And I was like, okay, cool. And that, that was it. That's all I needed. I mean, there was no like, Hey, we'll help you. There was just like, Hey, go figure it out. Like, okay, yeah. roger that. And uh, I mean, I just remember being at the grocery store in, and I, and I talk about this in the book and I like where I remember this, this actually happened. I'm in the middle of the grocery store as a commissary on base. And I'm looking around. I'm like, I got these kids, one's in the basket, you know, he could suck it on a pacifier right. and the two were just kind of hanging on to the, uh, to the car. And I'm like, what do these kids eat? I'm like, who is responsible? Who's going to get <laughs> what these kids these creatures to eat? I didn't, I didn't know. I had to ask my children, I'm like, what are you guys? I didn't know what they ate. I had no clue what they ate. So I'm like, okay, like what kind of milk? Like I had to go, like, it was, it was that bad. Cause there, I mean, there was, some separation that's that's more in the book um, before, which is why I wasn't seeing them. But uh, I didn't know. And then just figuring out all, all out how to get on their level and talk to them and not be so militant and learning about feelings. What the heck is that? Uh, pigtails, like right? all these oh, things. things. I can imagine this right now. I yeah. was a child. I was a child. I, I was, I that that is when, I didn't know it at the time, God said, 
hey, hey, <laughs> this is this is how you need to be yeah. a man. And I was like, got it. And it took time, but uh, that's where that's where my transformation really started was when those kids came into my life, and it was the most humbling thing ever. I was like, you know, I don't have this life thing figured out. I've got the operating thing. That's easy. This, this is the real tier one work right here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, I was just thinking uh, when I was in the Ranger Regiment, my wife had to make a trip halfway across the country, go visit family. It was kind of short notice thing. And hey, we're schooling our children at home and I'm getting them ready for church and she's not there. And I've I, I did the same thing with the pigtails. Like, I don't know what to do with this hair. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. We got to go. You know what? Here's a ball cap. Put this ball cap. Put it on. on. Yeah. Church with this ball cap. Just on. do a ponytail. It's one. Consider that thing. You're good. <laughs> this whole little girl hair thing is kicking my butt right now. It's insane. Um, we're we're killing the audience because I, I don't need you to go through the whole painful story, but they're wondering right now, what happened? How did you end up as a single dad? So can you just give them this part of the story real quick? Of course. So I was going through, we were going through a divorce with my, with my wife and um, she, during that, she wanted to move out to Tennessee where her family was. Because I was always gone. I was always deploying. I was on training trips. And one of our main schools was out in the same area where they were going in Tennessee. And she wanted to go out there. And the, what it was sold to me was, or told was she wanted to go out there to get help with the kids and to get on her feet and go to school, which I was totally about. I was always gone. I didn't yeah. want to keep her in Virginia. Right. So reluctantly, I said, okay, I, you know, I did the the signing off of it. She went out there. And when she did go out there, it was radio silence. I couldn't talk to my kids. There was no more emails. There was no more calls. There was nothing. And then that's where I had to really like lean into my lawyer and like, Hey, we need to figure this out. So the whole reason was to try to get her back yeah, right. to Virginia to do 50 50. And she told this big story uh, or this great story in court about how I caused her to all do this. So the judge initially said, you keep the kids out in Tennessee. That's fine. Don't, if he wants to see his kids or talk to his kids, you let him see right. it because he, he doesn't have that chance, uh, yeah. chance to do it like a normal <clears throat> agreement would be. Well, at the end, um, I asked for a drug test because what was said in court was like, I'm not using yeah. because I'm away from him. And she popped and her story was gone. So they yeah. told her to move back. She refused. And then they told my lawyer to tell me, go get my kids. So I got my kids, went back, had to call my command. I'm like, Hey, I, I got custody of the kids and they're like, excuse me. I'm like, I know I do. Um, and then that's when the journey started. I had to get my kids from Tennessee, drive back to Virginia and then set up a, a house. I was going to put up, I was putting up for sale. I had to take it off the market, do everything and uh, start living life with my kids yeah. uh, full time. But then, I had the opportunity after that first year, things started settling down, normalness between their mother and me started, you know, the cordial thing started coming out, which if anyone's going through a divorce, it's about the kids, keep it cordial. It's all about the kids. Like it's not about like, let's get them back or whatever it is. Is yeah, um, Don't use the children as a weapon against Don't you, that's, that's don't not okay. Into that's, the rope in a tug yeah, of war. That, that's not okay. They, they're like they need to be protected as best as possible. They're already going through yeah. enough. And uh, they were going on summer break so because their mother couldn't see them because she was still right. out in Tennessee, she asked to get them for a big chunk of the summer. And I was uh -huh. like, okay. And then I found out my old, my old team was deploying one week after my children would be on summer break. Yeah. So I was like, Hey, can I, can I go with you guys again? Do you mind? So I was able to go again. So the kids went with their mom and I went back overseas to Afghanistan uh -huh. for my final deployment. And that's when extortion happened. That was my final deployment. <laughs> Yeah. Well, so let me tell everybody about the average Navy SEAL at this level, this tier one SEAL. This is the strongest, toughest, and in, in, in a, and I, I don't use this language lightly, smartest guys around. You don't get in, you don't even get the opportunity to apply, let alone to try out for this unit unless you are ahead of 99.9% .9 of the US military, not just the Navy. So you get into this App, uh, the assessment process and a lot of dudes are going to wash out, meaning you got to be stronger, smarter and tougher than the smartest, strongest, toughest guys around. 
to get into this unit. And I, I want to point out what the listeners here and you say, Eddie, like I had all of the training, all of the experience. I was smart. I was tough. I was well-trained. I had it all going for me until I tried to figure out how to put pigtails in my girl's hair until I figured out how to buy groceries for children. This was a muscle I'd never had to use before. Mm -hmm. And it will break a man down 100%. if you really don't know what you're doing. Huge shout out right now to single parents, single mom that's working three jobs Absolutely. trying to pay the bills right now, single oh dad who's trying to keep the kids, uh, you know, under control and keep a career like that is a really that's that's the elite of the elite right there. Trying to that's keep real. A family that's real operating right there. That is operating at the highest level. Yeah. Um, you got a chance to go on one more mission and you mentioned it. I was there. We both know what you're talking about, but the listener does it. That last deployment to Afghanistan was, if I'm not mistaken, still to this day, the single biggest casualties in the war on terrorism in a single day. What happened? Yeah. So we had, we actually, we were in uh, Kandahar about to go out and up and I think it was weather or something was wrong with the helos from our tier one assets that we both have utilized and we couldn't go out. So our other team that was in a different part of the country, they were going to go out, but they couldn't get mm -hmm. the asset to them because I believe, I, I want to say it's weather. I, I don't know though. So they used national guard helos and then they went out on this operation and they got shot down. An RPG hit it. There's two birds up. So we were kind of running around like, Hey, which bird is it? I mean, Losing a bird at all, a helicopter yeah. is horrible, but one filled with a bunch of troops on it, that's obviously worse than just losing the crew. And it happened to be the one with the crew and all the passengers going to this this operation. And I remember just looking up at the screen, you know, on, we call it Kill TV. We got a big screen, yeah. you know, uh, we got our eye in the sky looking down on the crash site. And thermal will pick up white color, right? It picks right. up the heat. And I remember seeing kind of the bodies out of the back of the helicopter in that white just turned to gray and then it turned to black and you could just see the life yeah. goes and train um, right out of them. Yeah. That was a rough one. That was my boys. That was my, my best friends on that. It was, um, and then you got, you know, kind of makes you really think about, uh, humanity, you know, us as flesh, and then kind of go back to my kids, like, what am I doing over here? I should be more responsible. I shouldn't be over here. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, that was my, like, I'm like, I need to focus That's on my kids. Right it was a huge wake up call. And, um, and I, I try to talk myself into going back again, but it was like, dude, you gotta, it's not about you anymore. Stop it. Right. Stop. Like I would just have those, those talks, not knowing what those talks were at the time. But, um, that was it for me. I was like, that I can't do this anymore. I cannot, I saw, I saw the kids, their fathers. I saw the kids. I saw the widows. Wow. And I saw what that did to them. And there was dozens of them. And um, I was like, I can't. I mean, it was just a slug in the face about yeah. 20 times. You're done. And I heard it loud and clear. And therefore, I was done. I was up north watching the exact same thing in Bagram that you're watching down in Kandahar and ended up taking part in the memorial for this thing. Um, I know the numbers, but this is the single greatest loss of casualties. One, one event, not one day, but one event in the 20 year global war on terrorism. Do you remember the numbers? Can you share that with the, with the listeners? How many of your buddies were killed that day? I feel like it was, it was 23 or 28. I can't remember yeah. the exact number. It might've been 23 seals, but 28 of our units. And then we had a few Afghani forces um, I don't know the exact numbers, but it was a lot. It was over 30 with total numbers. I want to say it was 32, um, but it was a lot. And yeah. it took two C-17s, which are big jumbo aircraft, to bring all, all the, the caskets. caskets right. So I was yeah. there on the airfield because I came back with the bodies back to Dover. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, we, we probably crossed, crossed paths on that one. You just said something really powerful that didn't escape my attention my first combat deployment was really early in my career. I was a single guy in love with my high school sweetheart, but I went to war for the first time at the Ranger Regiment, just a single dude. Second time I went to war, I was brand newly married, but it was pretty quick, Desert Storm. 
By the time I got into Somalia, it was kind of different for me because I got a letter in the mail going to uh, about three or four weeks into the fight. I got a letter in the mail from my wife. We've been married for a couple of years now saying, hey, I got a baby on the way. And I remember immediately thinking, wait a second, my wife, if I get killed and she's not a mother, she'll eventually find another guy. She'll remarry. Things will be okay. She'll miss me, but she'll, she'll move on. If I leave a child without a daddy, that's a whole nother ball game. Yeah. And then the global war on terrorism kicks off. And like you, Eddie, I go many, many times to Iraq and Afghanistan. And there wasn't one deployment to Afghanistan or Iraq that I didn't think about the five children that I was leaving at home. And if I get killed on this one, what happens to them? That weighed heavy on my shoulders every second that I was overseas. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't fight any better, didn't fight any worse, but it sat on my shoulders like a lead weight when I was over there. And I'm thinking about you in Kandahar, watching that bird go down and watching your buddies literally bleed out on the battlefield, just watching their heat signatures fade to, to black. Um, and what that must have done to you as a dad, knowing I got three children at home that are now depending on me. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you're even able to, but can you kind of describe how fundamentally that impacted you? You know, it, it looking back on it now, and I probably didn't know what was happening at the time. It was probably the first time because I was a very self-absorbed, selfish man. Like every good special operator is, of course. I you was. Were. It was all about, I need more training. It's for the country. Like I would have excuses, excuses, like whatever it was, justifications, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but I, I neglected my family pretty hardcore because I was just so hyper-focused on the SEAL teams. And when that happened, it was kind of like a, like a very loud bullhorn in my ear. This is not about just you. It's not about you. It's not about Eddie anymore. It's, it's not, not about, about you anymore. You, you need to raise these children. And that's a whole nother deployment. <laughs> that's that's a war zone in itself. A really long deployment. Yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's a crazy one, man. Deployment. One that I was not qualified for. Right. Uh, but uh, I, that's where it kind of like was like, hey, it's it's not about me. And that was where the, 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 the turning kind of started uh, of not being so me, 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 and kind of like others, 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 which was just um, sadly to say, it's just where I was. I just, yeah. I was just, it was, it was about me. It really was. The, the reason I'm asking you to do this, and by the way, you described it beautifully, man, is because every person listening that's got children, got a family and has a career, all of us feel this tug, right? The more that I give to my career, the more that it costs my family, the more that I give to my family, the more that it costs my career. Yeah. And I don't know today if I'm giving too much to one and not enough to the other. And no matter what I do, I don't feel like I'm doing right by both of them. All of us know what that feels like. If you've been in the family versus career uh, world that Eddie's describing, but this is it at the highest extreme, right? Like this is me going overseas and putting these three children's lives at risk, because if I don't come home, who's going to take care of them? And that's a really, really different animal that impacted me very significantly still impacts mm -hmm. me to be honest yeah. this, to this day. And I've been out of the army for 10 years. Yeah. It's um, it's, it's real deal. It's, it's, it's real life stuff. That is the best way to put it. <laughs> yeah. At, at some point, and I'm just going to go ahead and just, a cut to the chase here. At some point, something softened your heart up and God got a hold of your heart. Can you just describe what, what happened there for the listener? Mm. You say that word, God, and it just, just nails me. Um, That's cool, I was going, I, I was on my second relationship and I was doing a coordinating, I was working with recruiters out in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And uh, I wasn't deploying. I was going through a very rough time. I was trying to figure out the whole fatherhood thing. And I wasn't doing well, um, you know, to the outside world, everything was good. He's a seal. He's, he's about to retire soon. He did this, this, and this, he's got three kids. He's the man taking care of them inside. I was a freaking train wreck. I was just, just drinking stuff and red wine down my throat every night. I had to do pills or mu nighttime mucinex or NyQuil just to fall asleep. I could not, I could not sleep. I had sleep yeah. issues. 
Uh, you, you know the laundry list of things. I have oh, it all. Yeah. Anger, all of it. Um, and I was not. I was physically there. Emotionally, I was so checked out. I was just. I was. I would. I mean, looking back, I, I was. I had to be a, a beast to deal with. Um, but I. I got offered, or my, in the relationship I was in, was hey, go to this men's retreat, was which was a a church that put it on that was kind of based off of John Eldridge's wild uh-huh. hearts. So it's Wilder a three day yeah. thing, but it wasn't sold to me. It's this Christian thing, uh, for whatever they said it right. I probably wouldn't have gone. Uh, I was a very stubborn all about, yeah, just like I got this figured out. It's all, I can do everything. I can do everything. I can do everything. Um, and then I went there and I just start seeing, you know, we, it's a three day thing. We get there on Thursday, you leave Sunday and John talks about um, it's all th- through, you know, a mo- like on a TV screen. Yeah. And he's talking about father wounds and how we are the hero of the story. And, he, and, he, and the thing that really captured me at the very beginning is he kind of he uses videos a lot like Braveheart, yeah. Patriot. And it's kind of like, hey, who are we as a man? And at this point, I'm, I feel like a failure. I'm not doing my dream job anymore. I'm failing at taking care of my kids. I mean, to be honest, with you, I'm like just trying to get my kids to survive. Like we are in survival mode. Like, do you guys have your food? Are you dressed? Rock on. That's all we can. Yeah. That's all I got right now. Shoes on your feet. When we're yeah, going you're out. good. I don't care yes. if they're even on the wrong foot, just they're on. <laughs> it's like, uh, so I just, he, he said that movies have three things, three components or three elements on pretty much every movie. There's a hero, there's a villain, and then there's a love story. And I was like thinking about it. And as the audience is like hearing that, they're like trying to think of a movie, but he used Braveheart. You got, you got William Wallace and then you got the King of England and then you've got the love for the country, the love for the woman and just like love love for freedom. freedom. Right. Yeah. All of it. Yeah. And, and he, and he, and then he says something which totally blew my mind and he goes, the Bible is the exact same way. There's a hero, there's a villain, and there's a love story all throughout. We have Christ. We have the evil one. And then we have God's grace. So we're like, you know, that, that just that love. And uh, I was like, okay, so maybe this is something I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm here. I'm going to give it a hundred percent. I will participate. I'm not going to, I'm done pouting, the, pout, the pouting, yeah. the pouting sessions over. Um, so they, you know, you do certain things. And I noticed as we're going through these classes, like guys are like starting to cry. I'm like, why are these guys crying? Like, come on, man. We're, we're surrounded by the yeah, man. man up, up, there's right? probably, yeah, man up. Right. That's what, I, that's what I've been fed forever. Uh, but there's about a hundred dudes there from like 18 years, probably 16 years old to probably like uh-huh. 80. I think the oldest guy was. And so after each session, they tell you to go out and pray. So they said the P word. I was like, whoa, whoa. And, uh, and like, just ask God and have him, he'll, you know, tell you what to think or what to write down. Cause there's these questions like, just ask, just ask God. And you know, it'll, it'll guide you. And I was like, what? So I was like, I'm going to do what they say. So I go out and I do what they say. And I'm like, well, I don't remember exactly what I said. I'm like, well, God, here we are. <laughs> like, um, and then of course the, the ultimate question, which we all want to know, like, show me your real. I mean, that, I think that's what I said was yeah. like, show me your oh, yeah. real or, or something like that. And then as soon as I said that, man, it was probably, it was early in the morning. The sun started coming up over these trees, these high trees. And I just get this sunlight that blares my face and just warms my whole body. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like getting chills all over. I'm like, okay, that's what a coincidence. So I yeah, chalk it up as a sunlight, right? It's, it's no. just, it's a coincidence. I mean, sun comes up every day in the East and it sets to the West. Like this is no, just happened to be at the right place at the right time saying the right thing. Um, so I go back in, do the more sessions and I see more guys getting taken off, like just crying and getting broken down, getting humbled, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, then I start seeing people coming up and praying for him. I was like, and I'm like thinking to myself, like, man, like I want someone to pray for me. I never told a soul. I just told myself that. And so we go through all these things and learning about, you know, like being the hero, mm-hmm. the woman in our life, how we're supposed to rescue them, how they've got a part in their story. And um, it's really and how like life is an adventure. Like we, cause yeah. a lot of guys are not living up to their potential. Yeah, they're they're stuck in the ruts and they're miserable life. And I'm like, wow, this is crazy. And, uh, and I'm like, I got the adventure piece down, but all this other stuff I really don't have figured out. 
And so the last night you're kind of, that kind of goes into like, Hey, a lot of things like agreements will stop us or, or certain things that we're doing are kind of like a block to stop you from your potential. And it kind of gives it like, you know, lust, anger, all that stuff. And, and, and like drinking and porn. And I, so I'm writing down all these things and they like initially give you a post-it. I'm like, I'm going to need about 20 you're more like, post-its because I've got, notebook, right? I need the whole stack of post-its because I have so much here that I'm learning. Cause I, that was when I first, first heard that like porn was bad and I, I didn't know that. And I'm like, I'm like, really? I'm like, I thought it kept me from cheating on my wife. Like that's what, mm-hmm. that's what I thought it was. I was wrong. And uh, so I put all this stuff on the list and you like, you know, you say your few words at this big fire on the last night and then you throw it in the fire and it symbolizes you're getting rid of this stuff. You're relinquishing it. Yeah. Then I was walking away from the fire that night and this kid comes up to me. He's probably 23, 24. And I was 32 at the time. He's like, hey, he's like, that was really cool. What you said he's like, mm. it's all right, man. It's cool. Uh, yeah, just Jesus, like, yeah. um, he's like, do you mind if I pray for you? And I was like, oh, here's one of those coincidences again. And he puts his yeah. hand on me and he starts speaking his words. And I have no clue what he said, and it doesn't matter. It's just I I broke down, man. I lost it. Mm. I was like taking out the knees. I had my answer. You are 100% real. And it made me see so many things when I was overseas and I was so, cause there was always those ops where you're like, why did I yeah. move from here to right. here? Why did I hear this? I need to leave away from this door right now. Something I would never do. And yeah, it just started right. making sense. I saw him all the way through everything. And it was like, it was so powerful. Oh my god, oh my god. You're you're you are complete. You are everything. And uh you are love and you are the fiercest of warriors I've ever seen. And um he did that and I was like, wow, that was crazy that he prayed for me. And the next day, um I'm like a sob story over here. Sorry about that. Man, and that's uh good. It's beautiful. Hey, what you're saying is you started to see your place in the grand, in yes. the greatest story of all time. 100%. There really is a hero. There really is a, a villain. And you started to see your role in that love story, which Absolutely. is powerful and ought to bring a man to his knees and bring. Oh, him it to did. Him. It did. It was beautiful. Like, yeah. yeah. But he, 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 uh, like he, he, like the next morning was worship, you know, the, the other two mornings yeah. I was like, just like, Oh, great music in, that music was on and I was like, I was like, I'm pretty sure lightning is shooting from my fingertips. I can speak thunder. Like I was like, dude, I am amped. I'm like, here's the real adrenaline. This is better than going through a door. And, um, and so at the end of the thing, they do, um, a, um, like, Hey, we got a gift for the person we think is the most changed. And they called my name on stage. It was this beautiful pen had like a cross on it. It's made of wood wow. from the olive yeah. tree over in yeah. Israel. I was like, dude, this is like, there it is again. And, uh, and then after that camp, about two days later, you know, after my emotional high, cause I've learned that there's emotional high and then there's, I'm actually genuine in this yeah. change. And, uh, which is something recently that I've finally been, or like come to by seeking. Good for you, and, man. um, I, I pulled up to the stoplight and I'm looking and I'm literally like, Hey, like, like I know, I know we had these coincidences back here at this camp and I was probably brainwashed. I'm making all these excuses. The evil ones kind of come into me and I'm like, show me you're real. Like freaking, like, I need you to tell me I'm saved. Like I've done a lot of stuff and I'm like going down the list. Like he doesn't know. And I look over, there's this car wash and there's one word that flashes in red. S A V E D saved one word, not save 10%, yeah. not pull in right now. And you'll save a, no, wow. just one word. One word. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm yours. <laughs> My God. Like, it. dude. Dude. And he's like, yeah. showed, and he's still to this day. My wife and I just got married last summer and uh, we just did Just the Peace yeah, and we yeah. opened an oyster and there's a pearl inside. And I immediately feel it was a God's gift. Like, you're yeah. finally doing the right thing, yeah. son. Like, it's just he, he's relentless. Yeah. He's relentless. Yeah. He really is, man. What you just described is so powerful and it's so beautiful, man. I, I remember a time 
as an uh, as a sergeant in the Ranger Regiment where uh, I, I had this walk with Jesus, but there was this moment where I just felt the presence and the power of his love in a way that I've never felt it before. And I, I think I was so moved to tears that I literally couldn't walk out of the doors and to my car in the parking lot. I was weeping I uncontrollably. And I was thinking the same thing, like, what just happened to me, man? I thought I was tough and strong. And this thing just broke me down. <laughs> and you are with Christ. Way, man. It really <laughs> yeah. did. It broke me down in a great way. And, and I would trade all of the missions, all of the action, all of the accolades. I would trade it all for that moment again in a hot second. That was much more satisfying. Absolutely. Hey, there's some listeners right now that have really never experienced that, or maybe some of you that have touched this, but it's only been very momentarily. This is a very brief commercial, but I just want you to know the guys from Go Ministries, man, they are getting connected with uh, the Unbeatable Podcast. These guys and gals are rock solid, and I'm going to let them tell you a little bit about what they do before I come back and talk to Eddie, and we kind of wrap this up with his podcast and his book. So check this out from Go Ministries. Hi, my name is Will Parton. I'm the president of Go Ministries. Go Ministries empowers local leaders to make disciples. Over the past 30 years, I've seen our ministry go from one family, one church, and one school to over 300 local leaders making disciples in 150 different communities through church planting, sports, and medical. And we're getting ready to expand into other countries. The way that we define a disciple-making culture is when mentorship, mission, and multiplication are present. When there's that one-on-one mentorship between two people that are sharing the gospel, we believe that discipleship is taking place. And then when a group of people are gathering together and they're on mission together, serving their community that surrounds them, that's another part of discipleship. And then lastly, you can't be a disciple or disciple maker if multiplication isn't the final goal. So would you please join us in our disciple making movement and our disciple making culture by going to gomen.org. So Eddie, um, you and Keith sit down and you start to put your story together. And that's when we first got connected, a phone call between me, you and Keith about the book before it actually made it into press. And, and I think I said this to you over the phone, man, I was so impressed by the what, by that, what I heard you say over that phone. I was like, man, I cannot wait until the book Unafraid comes out. So describe what the reason for the book is. Um, I'm going to tell people how they can get it. In fact, I'm going to give people a free copy. We're going to pay for it, and we're going to give away a free copy at the end of this week to somebody who's listening. But describe the book for just a second, and then the whole podcast that goes along with the book, Unafraid. What what did you try? What were you attempting to do, man? So Unafraid was, this book actually started back in 2013. I believe where I just was woke up one night, like, Hey, start writing a book. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's probably not going to happen. That's, that's like, not I'm me. not an author. So I just couldn't go back to sleep two o'clock in the morning. I walk over to my office, I get a legal pad and a pen. I sit up and I pretty much outline the whole book unafraid. But at the time it was going to be called facade uh, because that's what I was. Um, and it, I did about 150 pages of just putting down certain operations, how it affected oh, really? me and wow. certain, yeah. certain things. And it just kind of stayed on my shelf until Keith got introed. Uh, so when Keith and I like, Hey, let, I, I told him about this. I sent it to him. He's like, all right, this is, let's, let's work with this. And, um, we had a, we had a conversation and we talk about this conversation quite a bit. I, I, we, we brought it up like, Hey, we, the, the principle of this is to glorify God yeah. money. I don't want it's to come in to there or it's not to make money. If that's what comes with it, that is fine. But it is to glorify God. And I'm like, if some publisher or somebody was to take some of this out, if they want to add in, sure. You cannot take any of this out because that is the story yeah. that has made what this kind of has meant to be. So we both were ingredients on that and it was great. And um, it's kind of like, kind of going from childhood, how I got to the military, the things, the real stuff behind the scenes of opping, yeah. uh, the struggles, getting the kids, in comes Christ, and pretty much flipping me upside down, humbling me, and then, you know, um, building me back up to being a warrior for kingdom and not so much a warrior, you know, in the United States military anymore. Yeah. So uh, that, that's what it's about. There's a lot of life lessons in there. We do a 
as you know, hot wash at the end of each um, uh-huh. each chapter, which is in benefit of hindsight. And uh, that's been very popular with uh, everyone that's read the book. And it seems to hit home to a lot of people, Christians, men, women, single parents, military, anyone uh, has been like, wow, this is really a good read because it's yeah. not really just a military book at all. It's more than that. And anybody who wants to get a copy of this book, where do they find it? You can find it on Amazon. You can find an Audible. If you want signed copies, we offer it on eddiepenny.com. You can get hardback or softback uh, signed copies if you wish. Uh, but it's on all the Barnes & Nobles, I believe, has it on their site. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's everywhere. And if you're driving and, and you need that uh, web address, I'll put it in the notes. Just go back and look at the notes for this episode when it's over with. Um, Eddie, you also got a podcast um, you're 19, 20 episodes into the podcast to tell everybody uh, where they can find and and the kind of conversations they're going to hear on the Unafraid podcast. Yeah, so we actually got two podcasts. We got the Unafraid podcast, which you Keith and I you, do. You went straight I to know. Podcast, right? I like because ADD, man. <laughs> uh, so we do, we do a lot of stuff. We do, Keith is a big hunter, so we do gun reviews. We do hunting stuff. I'm going to start talking more of faith in there on my experiences what I have yeah. found, what I believed or what was told to me and actually what I found to be the truth. Yeah, what, yeah, in the yeah real what, cause, cause I've been deceived. We're, we're all deceived. And um, so we talk about some things like that, but we talk about um, a bunch of stuff. We talk about workout stuff. And then the other podcast is called the pennies podcast, which is with my wife. And we kind of, we're, we, we beat, we're pretty transparent on there about a lot of things about, struggles I had with drinking, getting out of that, what that looked like, the PTSD yeah. stuff, certain stress, her anxiety uh, that we openly talk about because a lot of people are dealing with stuff and there's not a lot of truth sayers out there uh, to, to discuss like what's really going on. Yeah, not the, deal. yeah, not the fabrication stuff we see on media or what we want you to believe, but Hey, this is, this is it. The so, name of the second podcast is what? The Pennies Podcast, P-E-N-N-E-Y, The Pennies Podcast. So if, you, if you're listening right now and you got somebody in your life, your family, a friend that is a warrior that's struggling or you're just struggling to relate to them, why don't you tune in to The Pennies Podcast and it'll give you the real unadulterated stories of what this is like and kind of how, uh, what it takes out of you and what it takes to you know survive in a, in a lifestyle like this. Um, Eddie, I, I want to just wrap this episode up by saying um, the fact that you're being willing to be this real on my episode really, really inspires me, man. Um, I I think for the listener, I hope that they're hearing your story and then it's bringing somebody to their mind right now because all of us know that guy or that gal that looks like they've got it all figured out, right? They're, they're, they're excelling at work and they're driving a nice car and they're wearing their nice clothes. And it looks on the surface like they've got it all figured out. That was you. You were tough. You were smart. You were at the absolute pinnacle of serving in the most elite, one of the most elite units on the planet. And you were a mess on the inside. And nobody really knew how much of a mess you were on the inside until the real moment that you got serious and and uh, till the real moment that Jesus reached down and changed you on the inside. That's when you became unafraid. It wasn't being a breacher and the number one guy in the door. It was the moment that Jesus stepped in and really made you unafraid. Absolutely. And I hope the listener is catching this from your story and saying, I think I know somebody just like Eddie. They're in a different line of work, but I think I know somebody exactly like Eddie. And they need what Eddie needed um, back at that Wild of Heart uh, weekend that you spent. Man, thank you Absolutely. for being part of this episode, dude. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate it, brother. And much respect to you and your career and what you're doing now. Like, hats off to you, brother. Like, seriously, thank you for yeah, what you were doing. Time. When Eddie started to describe his life before he went to this camp, I started thinking about a bunch of buddies who all are living with a facade. They're trying to portray that they've got it all figured out, that I'm smart and I'm tough and I've got everything in life under control. But the truth is none of us have it all figured out. All of us need some help. All of us need a hero. And man, I cannot tell you how much I respect Eddie for just being real and just being honest on this episode of Unbeatable. I hope it was as encouraging to you 
as it was to me. And again, massive shout out to the single parents out there that are working hard and trying to hold a career and trying to take care of the family and figuring out how to put in pigtails all at the same time. I hope you'll take something away from this episode and go out there and just reach out and offer some help or maybe even offer a listening ear to a friend or somebody who may be struggling right now. Hey, if you found this episode and you really like what you heard because you're stumbling across the Unbeatable podcast for the first time, why don't you go ahead and subscribe? Subscribe on YouTube or on your favorite podcast platform. We deliver another episode every week and we'll be right back here next week. But if you want to get deeper connected, well, you can follow us on social media. We're putting content out all week long, but the best way to get connected with this podcast is to join the unbeatable army. And we're not going to ask anything of you. You don't even have to swear an oath and raise your right hand. All that it takes for you to become part of the unbeatable army is just simply go to unbeatablearmy.com. And when you get there, we will sign you up. We'll start to deliver content to you. We'll get you connected with other warriors that are part of the unbeatable army. And what we'll just do is try to encourage you when life gets hard so that you can be unbeatable. Thanks for joining me. See you right back here next week.